Are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! <laughs> San Francisco Mutiny Radio San Francisco Mutiny Radio Listen to live streaming radio Or download a podcast and you can listen on the go Listen to live streaming radio or download a podcast and you can listen on the go. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. MutinyRadio.fm Why not make a donation? MutinyRadio.fm Streaming live to the station. MutinyRadio.fm District of the Mission. My name is Breakfast, and I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. For too long, we have gone without a Chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great, big, fat nation. As your Chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin, give entertaining speeches, have scandalous affairs, Write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders. Look good on camera. End all hunger, crime, abuse, war, disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things. And... Invest in an American flag pin to be worn prominently on my stylish jackets. It's time to work together to take the country back from us and return it to ourselves. It's time to turn this country around and drive it into opposing traffic. It's time to take a chance on the Chancellor. have an insatiable appetite for all things in life, who scream at nothing and everything at the same time, who dance till sunup, who cause the sun to set again with irreverent bow, who rival the moon with gravitational force, who leave rooms feeling empty.
wo die Blumen sind. Was ist geschenkt? Sagt mir, wo die Blumen sind. Mädchen flüchten sie geschwind. Wann wird man je verstehen? Wann wird man je verstehen? Sagt mir, wo die Mädchen sind. Mir, wo die Mädchen sind, was ist geschenkt? Sagt mir, wo die Mädchen sind, wenn Namen sie geschwind, wann wird man je verstehen? Wann wird man je verstehen? And with that, we begin our show. This is the B, and of course, the name of the show 
is the Labor and Love Radio podcast. Material by, for, and about working people and music of social significance. Welcome, everybody. Saturday morning again, working the day shift with you. Coming to you from 2781 21st Street. Yes, we actually do have a brick-and-mortar building where we do our work. And if you come down, you'll make a discovery right here in the mission, in the middle, middle, the heart of the mission. A community arts program. Comedy. Video. Audio. Radio. (laughs) Any more ADOs? Art installations. Mutiny Radio. Right now, it seems like it's sort of a well-kept secret, but we want to do away with that. Anyway, let's see, what do we got this morning? Today we started out, well, the last one we played is one I'm playing all month. Sock me about the Blumen's in Joan Baez's uh, version in German of the famous peace song by Pete Seeger. Before that, we had Curtis Mayfield with We Gotta Have Peace, making all kinds of new discoveries here. You look up peace songs. And what's, what's so funny about Peace and Understanding by Elvis Costello? Now, those were your opening songs. Welcome to Labor and Love Radio. Or we tell you how it is if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. Probably a whole lot of someone else's to support the rich. Never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. You want to be on the menu? Me neither. Okay, well, let's get into it. Let's see what we got for you today on the labor beat. Hermann Goering's famous quote about war, labor history in two. Nurses furious at the union decision to call off the strike. Kellogg's workers stand strong. John Deere strike ends after workers okay packed with hefty raises. Several songs about peace, our radio labor. Time for a four-day week work week has arrived. As far as I'm concerned, it arrived a long time ago. Labor Lab is a new uh, website that tracks anti-union and union-busting activities. The Kellogg strike. LeBron James and Eric Cantor. Someone has called LeBron on his sort of blind uh, endorsement of the Chinese government. 
Section 7 of the National Labor Relations Act, the one that everybody should know by heart, back and forward, inside out. Mind-blowing political potential of a college football players union. How about that, huh? Labor notes, John Deere workers, and uh, Mary Oliver, poet who evidently is very well regarded and uh, who was introduced to me by my sister. So we'll hear one of her poems about peace. Right now, though, let's get to it. Let's listen to Radio Labor. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, November 19th, 2021. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, the pandemic has cost women workers $800 billion in lost income. How unions are fighting for an international law banning sexual violence and harassment at work. The Labor Start report about union events and singing. This is Radio Labor. Women workers have been hit especially hard by the pandemic. See Marie Ainsborough has a report. Because of the pandemic, women around the world have lost $800 billion in income. That's the combined GDP of 98 countries. To better understand the situation and to devise solutions for moving forward, the International Labor Organization and Sweden jointly sponsored a webinar on what needs to be done to help women workers as countries counter the effects of the pandemic. One of the speakers in the webinar was Kathy Feingold, the international director of the AFL-CIO Labor Federation in the United States. She mentions the International Trade Union Confederation. The ITUC is the organization which represents national union centers, such as the AFL-CIO, at the world level. The pandemic really brought together a set of crises. They were intertwined, income, gender, racial inequality, the climate crisis. We have everyone at the COP, and I'm just getting the readouts about the work we've done to get just transition pledges, which I think will be key to women workers. We also saw attacks on civil society spaces and democracy, which has really impacted women workers in many countries around the world. So all of these crises have had an impact on gender equality. The numbers, we've already heard some people talk about them. The global snapshot is pretty enormous. Women lost around $800 billion in income during the pandemic. It's the combined GDP of 98 countries. So we know that women were on the forefront of really being impacted on what happened in the pandemic. Now, the question is, as governments have been talking about what to do, were women at the table helping to shape those policies? gender-sensitive policies that, that have been going forward. But I would say, uh, if you look at the global snapshot, it's been quite mixed. Many women still are not at the table. We've seen large differences across sectors of work and regions. The Americas region actually saw the highest decline in women's employment, followed by Arab states. 
And when we think about how many women workers depend on the informal economy of work, one thing I want to point out is when you close civil society spaces, when you close, when there are attacks on democracy, uh, many workers can't even get out of the house to work. And so what some of the reports we saw were that many governments used the pandemic as a way to justify further restricting worker and human rights. Over 150 countries enacted provisions limiting freedom of assembly, which meant informal economy workers, women um, selling in the streets, um, they had a harder time, domestic workers, getting to work. And so what we are seeing is governments taking advantage of the pandemic, hopefully Sweden and the U.S., to think about building back better, as Thea says, about thinking of a transformative economic model. And at the same time, we see many countries using the pandemic as an excuse to um, close civil society spaces and make it harder for workers. And we see that around the world. Before the pandemic, we already know that women already perform three times as much unpaid care work as men, and this has just grown. I want to bring in the issue of gender-based violence. This was linked to what has been going on during the pandemic, a rise in gender-based violence. And out of the 580 fiscal and economic measures created by countries to support businesses, only 70 of them focused on strengthening women's economic security. So we have a long way to go before we get that transformative feminist agenda spread around the world. Let me tell you what we're calling for in the global labor movement. I also wear another hat at the International Trade Union Confederation as deputy president. And we've come together demanding the creation of millions of decent care jobs, the formalization of informal care jobs, recognizing the rights of all care workers to decent work and working conditions, the right to collective bargaining, access to public quality care services, and we've heard this from others, investing in care, health, education, child care. Millions of new jobs can be created in the care economy. I want to highlight a few good examples because we've said some negative examples. Here's some good examples of what we'd like to see replicated around the world. Many governments have actually increased the compensation of healthcare workers, many of them women, through allowances and additional grants, either on a permanent basis like France or temporary basis, Argentina, Canada, Italy, and other countries. Australia and South Korea increased the availability of childcare facilities for unemployed parents in low-income families. Unions are lobbying their governments to ratify a law created by the International Labor Organization on sexual violence and harassment at work. Many are working to support the ILO's Convention C-190 even before their countries ratify it. Here again is Seymour Ainsborough. Unions around the world are taking advantage of an international treaty banning sexual harassment and violence at work. The treaty is Convention C-190 of the International Labor Organization. The ILO is the United Nations agency specialized in matters of work in the world. To come into effect, a treaty must be ratified by a country. But unions are using the existence of the treaty to fight sexual harassment and violence even before ratification. Shauna Bader-Blau of Solidarity Center in the United States recently highlighted C-190 in the Center's podcast. Ms. Bader-Blau is the host of the podcast and also executive director of the Center. She talked to the head of the Department of Women and Youth of the Nigerian Labor Congress. Even before governments act on C-190, some unions are taking steps to ensure workers benefit from the incredibly powerful rights it provides. In Nigeria, where unions are also making C-190 real, textile workers, market vendors, and others are gaining a stronger voice at work. 
My guest today, Rita Guit, will tell us how. Rita leads the Nigeria Labor Congress's Department of Women and Youth and is the secretary of the NLC's National Women's Commission. Rita Guit in Nigeria with the Nigerian Labor Congress. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Sister Shona. Over the course of this um, podcast, we've been doing a lot of coverage of Convention C-190, the great new convention at the international level. It's a treaty that says there should be no more violence and harassment in the world of work. One thing we know is that violence and harassment exists in the world of work, and gender-based violence is extremely common in workplaces. You've been doing some surveys and speaking to workers in Lagos and Abuja. I know you under, you spoke to maybe 900 workers or so. I wonder if you could tell us what were some of the results of that survey? What did you learn when you talked to these workers? First of all, I would say I'm excited to be on this program. And once more, to say excited about the convention T190 and all that it has for us as workers and ensuring that we have uh, a workplace that is free from any form of uh, violence and uh, harassment. And to say that once that uh, convention was adopted, we were excited and we started work immediately because before then we were doing advocacy in support. And once it was adopted, we continued to strengthen, uh, strengthen that our, our campaign and make sure ratification. But when we got to the level of discussions as uh, pertaining uh, ratification, then we, we had this challenge uh, that we asked people to deny the existence of gender-based violence and harassment in the workplace, even though we know of its prevalence and all of that. So we needed to do something to uh, come out with some evidence to show that it exists. So we decided to do research with the support of the Solidarity Center. The research, there were 19 women uh, that went out for this research. At the end of the day, we were able to interview 919. We were consciously trying to break the silence of this gender-based violence and the lack of uh, awareness uh, that is there. The result that we found was really, really amazing because we now discover that there is no place free from gender-based violence and harassment, that it existed in all. The research results were amazing. No age or sector is free from the menace of gender-based violence. About 7.5% of the 919 women interviewed experience gender-based violence at work. 57%. Yes. And then about 52.2 had been threatened either by text messages or on their way to or from work. Here with his report about union events is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. This week, our top story section included links to coverage of the incredibly durable union-led movements for democracy in Belarus and in Sudan. In Belarus, the labor movement last week marked a full year of struggle against what is often called the last dictatorship in Europe. At the same time, Sudanese trade unions continue to be targeted by the military. Dozens of union activists have been arrested, injured, or killed as the mass protests there are not just continuing, but are escalating. 
We also carried stories about the ongoing analyses by trade unions of the effects, if any, of the COP26 agreement, the announcement of a Black Friday strike against Amazon in 20 countries, how European unions are pushing back against the far-right's attacks, and workers' rights developments in the lead-up to the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. For our Working Women page, our volunteers found stories about the growing anger in New Zealand at the lack of progress towards pay equity. From the 15th of November to the end of the year, New Zealand women will essentially be working for free given the gender pay gap in that country. We also covered the launch of a campaign against gender violence in the workplace by the Centre of Indian Trade Unions and what Thai sex workers are doing to make their work safer. A small sample of the stories appearing on our health and safety page in Newswire this week includes coverage of legal decisions regarding mandatory vaccine policies in Canadian, Australian, USian, and French workplaces. We also covered the reaction of Brazilian unions to an attack on occupational health and safety laws and a tribute to education workers and students killed by COVID-19, which was organized last week by a Japanese teachers union. Our photo of the week is from Education International, the global union federation for unions representing education workers around the world. It shows one of the 100,000 unionists and civil society organization members demonstrating outside the COP26 negotiations in Glasgow last week. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here is Union Nation with A Woman's Place. it labor news you can use you can listen to our daily newscasts and features at radiolabor.net 
I'm Mark Belanger. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about the global solidarity. I belong to the union because I want to get paid just as much as the men that I work with. We're out here on strike for one class of people. We're not first, not second class. We're all the same. Jobs. They're how Americans prove that they deserve health care. Right now, America is experiencing a big change in what it means to have a job, and especially what it means when your job treats you like crap. So let's find out what people are doing about it. A union to me means better health care, better wages. I went on strike to protect those benefits. Union Strong, Local 364. Nobody said it would be easy. Nobody said that it would all be fine. But to get where we're going, brother, you gotta hold the line. It ain't a matter if, no, it's just a matter of time. But to get where we're going, sister, gotta hold the line. Well, all the CEOs get all the money. And it doesn't, you know, they don't care to give us any of it. You gotta stay steadfast, tread lightly, cause they're looking for a reason to knock you down, but you can't ask too politely. In the trenches, you gotta get loud, hold the line! Hold the line! Don't
Okay, that was uh, something new there by Tom Morello. Hold the line, okay? Tom Morello. And let's see, we got... uh, How about John Mayo? All right, mister, we're ready. Where's the announcer, man? Ladies and gentlemen, John hey, Mayo. I'll say it again, John ah. Mayo. That's right. Um, a little more light over here so you can see who's here. That's it. No, no, that's, that's better. Yeah. Over here on my left, uh, Johnny Armand on tenor, alto, and flutes. And sitting down playing acoustic fingerstyle guitar, John Mark. <laughs> Bass, Stephen Thompson.
right there after our uh, <clears throat> radio labor feature. We had, uh, we just had the laws must change. John Mayall, a seminal leader, a group leader. So many great musicians came out of his bands. Jimmy Page, Peter Green, Rod Stewart. Those are just the ones I know, and there are probably more. The laws must change. Here, here. And we had Tom Morello with something new, a new album out by him, Hold the Line. Tom Morello has added new music to his catalog that carries on the long-standing pro-labor tradition of protest songs, this time in collaboration with Canadian rock artist Grandson. Called Hold the Line, the song was released on October 15th. A special version called the United Strong Edit debuted on November 12th, replete with photos of striking union workers from all over the U.S. who are fighting for fair wages. Video's release follows many weeks of national protests against unfair working conditions with Striketober, seeing 10,000 John Deere workers and 1,400 Kellogg workers on strike, plus so many more. Such actions are continuing in increasing numbers with what is now called strikes given. In a time when seemingly more workers than ever are rising up and demanding humane pay and treatment, Morello's new music may serve as a soundtrack to a labor mobilization the likes of which the U.S. has never seen. We just had a, a terrible thing, terrible thing happen. Uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, a young man who uh, decided he was going to protect property from rioters, Antifa rioters, quote-unquote, people basically protesting the murder of citizens because of their ethnicity. So he went and shot three people killing two of them, and he was released. He was exonerated. He had a jury trial, and he's not going to serve a day. He's not going to serve a moment for what he did. Can't say much more than that. America, America, you keep on being yourself. You tell me you're going to change, and you have changed, and you keep on being yourself. Kellogg's workers stand strong as serial strike stretches on. 
Battle Creek, Michigan. Last month, 1,400 Kellogg cereal workers went on strike. Their job action came after bargaining over pay, lengthy work days, and benefits hit a wall. Negotiations had been going on for over a year at that point. The strike has included workers from plants in Michigan, Tennessee, Nebraska, and Pennsylvania. President of the BCTGM, Bakery Confectionery Tobacco Workers and Grain Millers International, Anthony Shelton, stated that Kellogg workers have also been threatened with proposals that would remove protections they've had for decades, as well as being threatened with jobs outsourced to Mexico if they did not accept the company's demand. So there it is. Oh, we're all saying, why are jobs leaving the U.S.? Well, there it is. You've got companies that are basically too cheap to pay a living wage or treat their workers humanely or deal in good faith. Sure, go to Mexico. We get, we get really cheap labor there. Those people are starving. We'll, we'll do good there. Anyway, several striking workers told People's World that the first of their complaints was with the two-tier wage system, a setup meant to separate so-called casual workers from union workers. And there it is. There's union workers standing up for other workers within the company who are not organized. They're not in the union. So check it out. That's the people's world. The people's world version. Okay. Kaiser nurses furious at union's decision to call off strike. Anger continues to roll in from Southern California health workers over the cancellation of a strike by 32,000 workers at Kaiser Permanente over the weekend. Despite their powerful position and widespread support, the United Nurses Associations of California announced Saturday morning they had reached an 11th hour deal with the healthcare giant to avert a strike which amounts to a four-year decline in real wages in exchange for millions of dollars in corporate funding. The nurses' main concerns, staffing, nurse retention, and overall working conditions have been left unchanged under the tentative agreement. But this has not stopped the UNAC, UHCP from falsely declaring victory. Calling off of the Kaiser strike proved to be the beginning of a general counteroffensive by the pro-corporate union bureaucracy across the country against the growing movement by workers for strike action, rendering critical assistance to the capitalist ruling class at a time when it is extremely vulnerable. The American Federation of Teachers called off a strike by 6,000 lecturers throughout the nine campus 
University of California system just hours before it was begin, going to begin, calling the deal historic. Also Wednesday night, United Workers entered a strike by 10,000 John Deere workers after ramming through a contract which workers had already voted to reject two weeks before. More on that in a minute. At this writing, two one-day sympathy strikes in support of 700 Kaiser stationary engineers in Northern California are still scheduled for Thursday and Friday. So some people are critical of that because the moment when there's obviously building support within, you know, unions for uh, direct action. I was accept, upset that the strike was called off, one nurse told the World Socialist website, noting that nurses had been preparing and were excited to fight back against understaffing and wage stagnation. We were going to strike 30,000 of us. The union should have asked for more. We felt that we could have won. This is my only chance to express my true feelings about Kaiser. And he continues on. That's on the World Socialist website. So obviously there were people who wanted to continue. And one more before we go to a little break. John Deere strikes after workers okay packed with hefty raises in third vote. Deere and company workers, oh, pardon me. We're on CBS News site. A new contract Wednesday, John Deere, that will deliver 10% raises immediately and end a month-long strike by more than 10,000 employees. United Auto Workers Union said 61% of its members approved the deal with a tractor maker on their third vote, even though this offer was strikingly similar to the one that 55% of workers rejected two weeks ago. Deer workers and other unions have been emboldened to ask for more this year because of the ongoing worker shortages and because workers didn't always feel appreciated while working long hours during the pandemic. pandemic. The latest proposal made only modest changes of the details of Deer's internal incentive pay plan. company said work was to resume Wednesday night after the last vote. Deer officials told the union not to expect the company to offer more money. And Deer largely stuck to that promise in its latest offer, which is called its final one. UAW John Deere members did not just unite themselves. They seemed to unite the nation and a struggle for fairness in the workplace.
So there are raises involved, 5% raises, 3% lump sum payments in the second, fourth, and sixth years, $8,500 ratification bonus, preserve a pension option for new employees. Anyway, check it out, see what you think. Right now we're going to listen to some sort of blue. bit of Miles Davis there. Right now I want to put on something by a renowned Mexican singer, one of the all-time greats, uh, and she was 17 years old. She wrote a song called Mal Hombre, Lilia Mendoza. hacen daño tus manos me hacen daño tus labios me hacen daño tus labios que saben fingir a mi sombra pregunto si esos labios que adoro en un sagrado podrán mentir me hacen daño tus ojos me hacen daño tus manos, me hacen daño tus labios que saben fingir. A mi sombra pregunto si esos labios que adoro en un beso sagrado podrán mentir. En mi soledad me ha 
alma te dirá te quiero nuestros labios guardan flama y un beso verás que no olvidarás mañana flores negras el destino nos aparta sin
Uh, Lidia Mendoza, who at the age of 17 in 1933 wrote one of the greatest all-time classic Mexican songs, Mal Hombre, I play it all the time. It means, well, son of a bitch. It means uh, bastard. It means... it. it, it translates literally as bad man, but that's not the half of it. Mal hombre. Okay, that one she just sang was Cancion Mixteca. Put that record on sometime. Go to Mexico and put that record on 
or in a Mexican bar anywhere and watch everybody start to cry. It's such a beautiful, touching song about someone who's far away from his Tierra del Sol, this, the sunny country. Mexico, and he's, he's thinking of Mexico and how beauty, beautiful it is. Bob Dylan, Man of Peace, from his 1983 Infidels album. And first there we had Lydia Mendoza with Flor Negra and beautiful line, your, your kisses wound me. Now, what's that about, huh? Um, let's see. What best songs about? Oh, I know what it was. The time for a four-day work week has arrived to expand personal freedom recover from the COVID pandemic and curb the climate crisis, let's embrace a shorter work week. This is In These Times, and the writer is Anna Kut. Five days of working each week is too much. Here, here. Just a second, please. Okay, I want to get a little background. In late July, as he introduced a groundbreaking proposal for a 32-hour work week to Congress, Representative Mark Takano, Democrat of California, declared Americans should have more time to live their lives, not just work. With workers returning to the job as certain COVID-19 restrictions were lifted, Takano noted that many people will want to work fewer hours instead of going back to normal. My colleagues and I at New Economics Foundation have been arguing that it's time to move to a shorter work week. As we show in our new book, A Case for a Four-Day Week, Growing evidence suggests re reduced time, work time is good for human well-being, good for the environment, and good for the economy. We've grown used to being told a four-day work week is too radical and can't be done, but all that's starting to change. Since COVID struck in winter 2020, for many workers, Going into the office for a full five days a week has become the exception rather than the rule. The number of workers who know what it feels like to have more free time has risen dramatically. Can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, as Cesar Chavez used to say. <laughs> A 
shorter work week is an idea whose time has come. It will help post-COVID recovery to strategy for long haul, foundation stone for transitioning to a fairer and more sustainable economy, can reduce stress and anxiety, and improve physical health. Check it out. It's on In These Times, and the arguments are solid. Okay, there's no reason why we shouldn't go to a four-day work week, except that what we're doing now is making the rich richer, and they're not going to want to change that. I guess if you could go to a rich person and prove that he'd still make enough money, uh, enough, the same amount of money, he might go for it. The point is good. It says, you know, the economy will not just bounce back. Let's take a look at Kellogg's here. We were talking about Kellogg's earlier. And the strike is still going on. Workers at Kellogg's went on strike early in early October for the first time since 1972. It's now mid-November, snow is falling, and it's starting to get really cold outside. At the request of the company, workers briefly returned to the negotiating table in what turned out to be a corporate PR stunt for the annual shareholders meeting. The Kellogg company has shut them out, hired scabs, and still refuses to budge from their desire to make everyday community look more like the maquiladoras or sweatshops in Mexico, where they have been shifting North American production for decades. On December 15th, the Kellogg Company will reward <coughs> its individual investors on Wall Street who <coughs> own about 88% of the stock by paying them out another quarterly div dividend of 58 cents a share, totaling nearly a Hundred and ninety-eight billion. The company has also authorized three billion dollars worth of stock buybacks since the end of 2017 to artificially inflate the stock price itself. Far more than the sixty million dollars that striking workers are asking for. Kellogg Company, which was once the largest employer and cornerstone for the local middle class, today employs 390 brave workers who are up against a powerful three-headed monster, as most in Battle Creek could describe. Looking at the Kellogg Company as being all that different from the W.K. Kellogg Company, this is the corporate forest for the trees. To this picture, it is important to add that the WKKF Trust, slightly more hidden entity, yet one central to Kellogg's control. And this is how the Kellogg Company is set up. Check it out. It's on popular resistance. 
on the structure of Kellogg's control. Now, over the years, we've we've um, paid special attention on this show to attempts to unionize and or for athletes to enter the national conversations that are going on and express themselves politically. Uh, remember uh, LeBron James, most famous basketball player now. Um, getting his teammates getting his teammates to wear hoodies supporting Trayvon Martin well here's someone who's attacking who's attacking uh, LeBron James Ennis Cantor Past Los Angeles Lakers superstar LeBron James without exchanging a word during pregame warm-ups on Friday night, but the Boston Celtics center's sneakers were more than enough. One of Kenter's sneakers featured James' likeness being crowned by Chinese President Xi Jinping. The other read, I am informed and educated on the situation. A reference to James' 2019 comments in the wake of then Houston Rockets general manager Daryl Morey's tweet in support of protests in Hong Kong. Cantor says, money over morals for the king. Sad and discussing how those athletes pretend they care about social justice. They really do shut up and dribble when the big boss, China, says so. James had a, a line has a line of custom sneakers designed by Chinese artists Bad Yukao. Did you educate yourself when the about the slave labor that made your shoes? Or is that not part of your research? James said he had not spoken to Cantor. I don't give too many people my energy. He's not definitely someone I would give my energy to. He's trying to use my name to create an opportunity for himself. I definitely won't comment too much on that. He always had a word or two to say in my direction. And as a man, if you got an issue with somebody, you really come up to them. He had his opportunity tonight. I saw him and he walked right by me. Against the Washington Wizards on October 27th, Cantor wore Air Jordans featuring the phrases hypocrite Nike, made with slave labor and no more excuses. The U.S. State Department determined that the Chinese government has detained more than one million Uyghurs and other minorities in Xinjiang province. In a tweet before the game, Cantor called on Nike co-owner Phil Knight, as well as Nike endorsers James and Michael Jordan, to visit these slave labor camps, and you can see it with your own eyes. 
James has a lifetime contract with Nike that his business partner estimated to be worth more than $1 billion. At any rate, someone attacking the king. James, in contrast with Jordan, has been more uh, forthcoming with his uh, criticism of, for example, uh, police murders of young black men and others. Naturally, the common people don't want war. But after all, it's the leaders of a country who determine the policy, and it's always a single, simple matter to drag the people along. Whether it's a democracy or a fascist dictatorship or a parliament or a communist dictatorship, voice or no voice, the people can always be brought to the bidding of the leaders. That is easy. All you have to do is tell them they're being attacked and denounce the pacifists for lack of patriotism and exposing the country to danger. Works the same in any country. Why should one poor slob, why should some poor slob on a farm want to go off and fight a war when the best he can hope for is to come back whole? Of course the people don't want war. At any rate, Herman Goering. <laughs> yes, sir. Herman Goering said that. Herman Goering wanted everybody to know. <laughs> okay. So John Deere workers have signed their con so several strikes are either settled or about to be settled uh, after turning overwhelmingly turning down the contract the Deere workers voted 61 percent to uh, 39 I'm assuming 61 to 39 to uh, To accept, to accept it. This is the B, and we're uh, coming on up now to our last half hour. And what I want to do is find these speeches. I have a set of speeches. And um, great speeches of all time, something like that. At any rate.
for jobs that do not exist. In this other America, millions of people are forced to live in dilapidated, substandard housing conditions where they do not have wall-to-wall -wall carpet, but where they all too often have wall-to-wall -wall rats and roaches. In this other America, Thousands of young people finish college or high school rather every year reading at an eighth grade or ninth grade level, not because they are dumb, not because they don't have native intelligence, but because the schools are so inadequate, so overcrowded, so devoid of quality, so segregated, if you will that the best in these minds can never come out. And I guess the most critical problem in the other America is the economic problem. For in this other America, we find some 40 million of our brothers and sisters perishing on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. Unemployment.
Perfectionists are getting a crash course in the American prisons uh, and prison system, since many of them are awaiting trial inside of them. And it turns out conditions are bad, and they want to speak to the manager of the prison industrial complex, okay? This is from the attorney of a one Nathaniel DeGrave, uh, who was a guy that stormed the Capitol, uh, but said that he didn't hurt anyone, all right? He's got a very long letter. I'm just going to read a couple segments from it. This is from his lawyer, and it goes, as a political prisoner in pod C2B, which I immediately read as CB2, and I was like, what? You got CB2 shit up there? That's cool. At the DC dock, otherwise known as DC's Gitmo, the conditions here for January, six January Sixers have been inhumane. In fact, some inmates are even begging to be transferred to Guantanamo Bay, <laughs> where they have more acceptable standards. I feel like you took the wrong thing away from that Michael Moore doc, but okay. They're like, they've got healthcare. Um, okay, rusty pipes, dirty water that flows from these sinks. White rags turn brown when exposed to the water from our faucets. You know how much... They hate brown things and people. Uh, we're undergoing severe nutritional deficiencies and starvation. For breakfast this morning, I received a tray of flavorless paste, two slices of bread, and a slice of bologna. Lunches usually consist of rice and beans, but we'll get cold chicken and beef patties if we're lucky. For dinner, we're sometimes fed a diet of cheese sandwiches and bologna and cheese four to five times a per week. Oh. Also, we're forced to undergo humiliating strip searches despite all visitors being thoroughly checked for contraband. Um, here's on, on masks, right? Um, masks need to be covering both the nose and mouth at all times or we're threatened and locked down in our cells. Jan Sixers are always respectful to the employees around us, but CEOs maintain the need to invent reasons for discipline. Yeah. That's huh. <laughs> You're just learning this now, honey? That's yeah. so sweet. The, the January 6th um, stuff always puts abolitionists, in, I think, in a weird spot, you know, of which I would consider myself. Um, I, I think, you know, at the same time, it's like, yes, when it, this is a classic example of kind of, you know, they're columbusing the, the suffering in prisons like this. They discovered <laughs> it for the first time. This is obviously routine, and it's frustrating for people who try to bring these things up. Well, now you sort of care. So again, suddenly Tucker Carlson cares about FBI informants for the first time ever. Uh, suddenly right. other people care about the carceral. And one of the one of the risks of January 6th, which we've talked about on our show, and I think it's, it is a legitimate risk, is that this that it is being exploited by pro-law enforcement FBI forces to kind of launder their, their brand post-George Floyd uprisings, um, that they are going to use this as a way of showing, look, we the FBI, again, the, two weeks before J. Edgar Hoover, um, Two weeks after, rather, J. Edgar Hoover sent blackmail to, to Martin Luther King in 1964, a couple weeks before he won the Nobel Peace Prize, um, they sent blackmail, anonymous mail, telling him to kill himself. Two mm -hmm. weeks later, two weeks later, he met with MLK and they had a press conference and he talked about how they were going to fight the KKK, right? This right. It's the double game the FBI has been doing for years. It is a fundamentally, like all law enforcement agencies, a fundamentally white supremacist institution. Uh, and the, 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 the line between their informants in these groups and their actual participation in the groups is sometimes very blurry. And, it, and, and, and at one point, as much as 20% of the KKK in the 1960s was, was full of FBI informants. Yeah. And, and, um, and also, it's, it needs to be said that a lot of, like, I totally agree with you, obviously, that I don't think we need to use this as an excuse to create more informants and more, like, robust, you know, uh, surveillance agencies. But, like, 
hella law enforcement were part of well that's the, the thing too and and, and <laughs> so you're like so they have incentive to act like they're both they're both the call they want to they need to again whitewash their roles because there were so many law enforcement i think it's at this point yeah. scores scores of example uh there are threads you know where they show like multiple you know houston bear county new york i mean so many police people were involved because the, the police are fundamentally fascist and white supremacist institutions right um so it's no of course it's it's very obvious that they would be heavily involved in a, in a fascist um, a coup attempt or push or whatever sort of term one wants to use. Um, and then then they sort of turn around and say, oh, no, no, the FBI is somehow not the racist institution. We're going to solve the problem. Um, and there is, and I think that fundamentally creates a bit, a bit of a problem for liberals because you want to thread the needle of saying, look, you can't have attempted coups. There has to be accountability, especially, you know, this because they're going to keep doing it, right? Yeah. <laughs> is, they're going to keep doing this every two years, every four years. They're going to deny election results, stir up the masses. And Sometimes you're going to have to eat bologna. And gonna, I, I, yeah, I do want to go back into this. I do have to go back into the story. I want to get more to this because this guy, yeah, Nathan, sorry, Nathan says he's innocent, y'all. His <laughs> goal was never to... Uh, he said he didn't destroy property. He didn't steal anything. Our goal was to make a documentary and get likes and shares. I want to get likes and shares. Now, who, what does Nathan look like? Who's this guy? Well, there he <laughs> is. So here he is, Nathaniel DeGrafe, soup not prepared for violence at all. Steve, this is the most nonviolent like <laughs> outfit, right? <laughs> you dress like a Teenage Mutant Ninja, Ninja Turtle reboot. <laughs> and, uh, I, and so, I, I, I love going down this thread. As someone who's been to jail, I was just waiting for one of the, the tweets to contain something that didn't surprise me, and it <laughs> never happened until, and I think he must be lying. Uh, I don't know if you're going to, if I'm jumping ahead or anything, but he says, an officer even yelled, fuck America, and threatened to lock us down for a week That's if funny. we attempted to sing the national anthem. Yeah. Oh yeah, the the noted nope. the noted liberal prison guard union that, we, that endorsed 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 Trump more than Trump's wife did. Jesus. Yeah, I'm sure. But those this guy, I mean, this, this guy's acting like he hasn't even seen Shawshank Redemption. This right. Is all, there's nothing new about what he's saying. And they turn bother. over my room whenever they want to. We've seen they, that they, they miss the poster, motherfuckers. Yeah. <laughs> now, so yeah, I mean, I'm reading it and I'm like, yeah, this is terrible. Uh, prisons should not be like this. They shouldn't exist like this. But also, I, I get you know, I guess the fact that he's flabbergasted is laugh out loud funny. And then he lied about that. I would love to hear a cop say "fuck America." I would pay real money to hear a cop say that. Oh yeah, no, yeah, that definitely didn't happen. And wait, I have to show you because yes, we should feel sort of sad for these conditions. But of course, I'm gonna go with you know the nonviolent uh, drug offender over an insurrectionist <laughs> who most definitely did violence. Okay, that's uh, a discussion with uh, Fiorentini, Francesca Fiorentini, about, let's see if we can find this. I wanted to talk about um, the National Labor Board.
Section 7 of the National Labor Relations Act and why it's so important is on the Labor Lab website. <clears throat> the National Labor Relations Act dictates the labor interaction between employers. Here's Section 7. Employees shall have the right to self-organization, to form, join, or assist labor organizations and to bargain collectively through representatives of their own choosing and to engage in other concerted activities for the purpose of collective bargaining or other mutual aid or protection and shall also have the right to refrain from any or all such activities. The ability to engage or not engage in these actions is protected by the NLRA and informed by the enforced by the NLRB. Labor school, essential details of section seven, and we'll get to that next week. Right now, it's about time to go. You're going to have, uh, you lucky people are having Scott O. Walker come up with his flat black plastic. Give Scott O. all your attention. Remember, if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table that is where you work, you're on the menu and never, but never let anyone, anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. Okay, have a good week and good work. This is the B signing off. Or even alone in the shower, who fight with passion and love with passion and are passion, who catapult over cliffs in the name of revolution, who would rather die than fall in line to conform, who constantly challenge the norm, who greet each and every day as if just born. I say to you, I know your greatness the way a suicide jumper knows weightless just before the impact, and in fact, I know it best when I say to you, I love you. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a pattern? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. 
From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Hey everybody, listen to the Weekly Review with Roman every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. This is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program. We interview community organizers, activists, and artists. We talk about ways you can take action right now. So listen in to the Weekly Review every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. and live music promotion, go to www.subliminalsf.com and check out their hilarious t-shirts and super cool bands at clubs and bars all over the Bay Area. Subliminal SF creates amazing flyers, posters, and design for every need. So go now to www.subliminalsf.com and experience what this wonderful local business has to offer. Good evening there, my friends, here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's Books the best of San Francisco and beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak chilling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? <laughs> it's a cash cock, honey. <laughs>
And the swellest way I know to get it is just by using Green Army Skincare. Boy, they're just crammed full of cannabis energy. There are more cannabis energy units in one lip balm tube than you use circling the base 10 times or when you ride your bike four miles across the city. And it's fast acting. Why, no sooner that you apply some balm to your mouth or pain areas, you practically feel the new strength in your muscles. And what's more, Green Army Skincare is a good, wholesome product. They're made with body-nourishing cannabis and other natural ingredients. So go out there today and pick up some Green Army Skincare products from your local cannabis procurement center. Join thegreenarmy.com. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to invite you down down to Bender's Bar and Grill in the heart of the Mission District in San Francisco at 806 South Van Ness. Uh, we've got great food by our kitchen counter offer, burgers, tater tots, tachos, corn dogs, all sorts of good stuff like that. They're open from opening until 11 p.m. most days of the week, except Saturday. Uh, every Saturday night, we've got live rock and roll, some of the best local bands in San Francisco, and touring acts as well. Come on down, 10 p.m., rock and roll, only night of the week. We have a $5 cover charge, always 5 bucks for live rock and roll. We're open from 4 p.m. until 2 a.m., Monday through Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 2 to 2. Come on down, have some, some drinks with us. We've got Whiskey Wednesday, Make Tequila it Tuesday, difficult and we're some always got the Steve McQueen special. Shot of Bullet Bourbon. If this happens California to be, unfortunately, is not enough. And your doctor's health our patio. It's open uh, in the afternoon, not really in the evening, but a lot of good folks hanging out back there. Come on down, give us a shot, drop by the bar, make some friends. Thanks, folks. Bender's Bar and Grill in the heart of the Mission District, San Francisco, California. With a happy hour every Monday through Friday until 7 p.m. Don't miss it. Go to Bender's Bar. Big supporter of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2018. Spark is San Francisco's premier cannabis dispensary with a focus on serving and educating patients for seven years. Spark is dedicated to creating the best in-store experience with its extensive menu, friendly staff, and one of the few cannabis vape lounges in San Francisco. Spark welcomes you to visit its two great locations as a medical patient or for recreational adult use in 2018. Spark is located at 1256 Mission Street between 8th and 9th and at 473 Haight Street at Fillmore. Both locations are open until 10 p.m. every night. Spark staff looks forward to serving you. Rainbow Grocery, a worker-owned and operated food cooperative located at 1745 Folsom Street in the Mission District of San Francisco. Let's hear what locals have to say about Rainbow Grocery. Their bulk section is dope AF. I love their, their variety of cheese and home decor items uh, and this of unique items that you can't find anywhere else. Their cheese section is insane. 
I love Rainbow Grocery because it's the number one grocery store to shop at when you're having a potluck and need to fulfill everyone's dietary needs. They don't have meat. Rainbow Grocery Cooperative, an amazing San Francisco staple since 1975. Space chicken sci-fi comedy non-political humor needs. Go to timstesseract.com. Read fiction about the future of San Francisco after the water wars of 2121 in Jane 6. Ask a Jedi for important life hacks. Eat flesh with the bear exoskeleton Contessa. And check your horror horoscope on Horoscopia. Updated every three parsecs. Timstesseract.com Timstesseract.com want to be a comic? It's not as easy as we make it look, but that's because Mutiny Radio has eight hours a week of open mic stage time for all your comedy workout needs. Strain those improv muscles every Sunday from four to six at Getting Sketchy with David Stolowitz. Press out those new jokes every Monday, 6 to 8, on Joke Workshop with four-minute sets and four-minute critiques from everyone. Get positive by host Pam Benjamin. Pump those dick jokes every Thursday, 7 to 9, with True Hustle Thursdays. Hashtag THC. That's hashtag THCT. You want more?